Welcome back, listeners. So Josh, in segment one, we just talked about kind of commonalities of conversations we've had on the soybean side of things um, as we've met with customers post-harvest. Um, shifting gears here, we're going to focus a little bit more as we dig into corn uh, post-harvest, just things of commonalities in terms of talking points or questions we've had from customers. And I think, you know, arguably on the corn side, I love post-harvest. I like hearing what worked well, what didn't, what are we excited about? You know, what what are we not? And I think one of the biggest things was in 2020, we were able to have Chrome products on farm uh, in a much larger manner commercially. And so, you know, it was just interesting to talk through what did we learn as we tested these products across a wide range of acres? You know, maybe folks had Chrome and experienced it, or even just the questions from folks that didn't have Chrome and just a little bit curious about what some of our performance uh, data looked like across um, Southeast Minnesota. Yeah, I, I think um, a lot of our our customers and producers that had Chrome, especially corn on corn, I, I think um, just really some awesome results across Southeast Minnesota. And, and that's been a, a really common theme. And, um, you know, and in some ways, I think really, really brought some, you know, maybe unseen yields in, in corn on corn performance and Chrome coming at a great time and also getting paired um, you know, we call the corn revolution with some really great new hybrids, I think was just uh, the perfect combination to, to really drive and push some performance on, on corn on corn. And on, on the complete opposite side of it, if we had some producers that, that didn't experience Chrome this fall, we're getting a lot of questions about, you know, number one, what is Chrome? And I'm um, hearing a lot about it. Um, really want to try some on my farm. And, and that's really exciting um, along the way as well. So, you know, Chrome is, is a great new combination of traits alley. It's not necessarily um, bringing us, you know, brand new technologies, but it's a brand new technology, the way the technology is put together. And it, it really optimizes, you know, by far optimizes the trait. And, and what we kind of like to say, it's it's the most optimized, you know, trait from a, a corn on corn, corn rootworm standpoint. And uh, that's been a lot of fun. And, and that's a good segue, Ali. You know, um, corn rootworm has came up quite a bit in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, number one, uh, as we come east, there's a lot of corn on corn and, and population is up. And, you know, when sometimes when um, we get to the situation too, and uh, our rotated acres, you know, we, we start talking about diapause and, and is it uh, something that we got to worry about and should we be looking at increased control on corn on bean acres? But uh, maybe we'll start a little bit first, Allie, with uh, the pressure, and then we'll talk about some of the traits on, on rotated acres as well. Yeah, I think pressure-wise, you certainly probably see a difference in the pressures in terms of as you get east of 52, where you cover, Josh, and then west of 52, where I cover. Probably the most prominent reason being you look at just the the amount of corn on corn acres, the percentage of corn on corn acres you have is a lot greater than myself as we track a little bit farther west. So I think, you know, your pressures naturally have just shifted a little bit higher. I think your accounts um, that you had when trapping fields were, I can let you talk about those were, you know, incredibly high numbers. And I'd say you more consistently saw rootworm feeding across um, your acres east of 52 as we get west, I was picking up more randomized pockets that have just started to, to catch our attention in terms of the control we need as we move forward. But I can let you talk about what you saw east of 52. Yeah, no, no, you covered it just well, uh, extremely well. And um, yeah, the corn on corn, you know, we probably have a little higher percentage of corn on corn acres to the east uh, in long range in some cases. And that's where we're seeing population spike. And um, I think it, it's good to see um, you know, it's twofold. I think a lot of growers are really going to take this serious and really look at some rotation, try to crash these populations. The soybean market is favorable for that coming off a good bean year. Um, so I think we're going to make some strides from management uh, of trying to get a little rotation and be strategic about it. And then, um, you know, I mentioned too, and I had a conversation about this yesterday morning with the producer about, you know, what should we do about the corn on beans? Should we be concerned? And should we look at traits? Should we look at, you know, 
um, not using traits. And I think that's a good conversation, Allie, that uh, a lot of producers are trying to mull over right now. Yeah, I think, I mean, it is an interesting question, but I look at on a corn on bean rotated acre, if you've not yet identified a reason to need a fully traded option um, coming out of that bean year, coming back into corn, um, I would prefer to see the lesser traded version on that acre, just because if we are using the fully traded uh, version on that corn on bean acre and on our corn on corn acres, that's just another time that those acres are seeing um that traded version. And so that can contribute to pressures rising. I think you probably talked through that a little bit more in depth than I just did, but what's your... Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and um, you know, it if we don't suspect a diapause problem, which it's hard to predict, so that, that is something we got to remember when we talk about this, predicting extended diapause on a corn going on a soybean rotation it is hard to predict. With that said, you know, I, I don't think where I'm seeing broad scale, you know, widespread issues with that. And the nice thing about not putting the traded acre on, then we get the bean year and the corn year. So that acre is getting two years of not, you know, not being exposed with the trait, which I think is really good stewardship and uh, really helps longevity of the trait. Um, so that's a good thing. And, and the other side of it is that, you know, I have some growers also asking, well, we've had so much corn pressure to the east. Should I be doing it just because there's a lot of beetles around? And, and in my opinion, it's the same thing. No, uh, their risk of diapause is low because they're not in a 50-50 rotation. They've had maybe four or five years of corn coming back. So the sequence isn't there. And on the flip side, usually, you know, rootworm pressure will stay isolated to the field. The pressure varies field by field, not just by a geographical area. Um, so as long as we had beans, we crashed that population. Um, I'm still suggesting using um, you know, a non-rootworm traded product on those corn on bean acres, but but all good points. And, and it's an important thing because there's some pretty big dollars at stake, right? I mean, doing that costs a lot of money and we also wanna make sure we, we protect these traits and uh, have them as long as we can. But uh, well, good conversation, Allie. Uh, episode 50 in the books, kind of exciting. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk about a whole lot more about agronomy in Southeast Minnesota. You've been listening to Today in Agronomy on KFIL AM 1060. If you've missed part of the show or want to hear more, check out the show page at kfilradio.com or with the 103.1 KFIL app. Stay connected with Allie and Josh on Twitter. It's at Allie G-Wise, W-I-S-E, and at Josh Schaffner to submit your questions for the show. Tune in next Wednesday for the next Today in Agronomy on KFIL AM 1060. We'll see you at 11 a.m.